Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Kroll-Bennett. Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. Lisa Lewis is a journalist who covers the intersection of parenting, public health, and education. Her book, The Sleep-Deprived Teen, is an outgrowth of her work around teen sleep including her role helping to get California's landmark law on healthy school start times passed. Lewis has written for the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Atlantic, and the LA Times, among others. She's a parent to a teen and a recent teen who inspire much of what she writes about. Lisa grew up in Los Angeles, right near me but now lives in Northern California with her family. Hi, Lisa. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Lisa, we're so happy to have you. I feel like I know you so well through Instagram, even though this is the first time we're ever meeting. It's the craziest thing about social media. It's like, I feel like we're old friends, but this is the first time I'm ever actually engaging with you. So let's start with the origin story of the sleep-deprived teen. What inspired you to write this excellent, excellent book? It, I'm sorry. It's excellent. <laughs> it's, I'm obsessed with what you have done in this book. So tell us everything. Give us where it started. Oh, my goodness. Well, first of all, thank you. Thank you. I'm really so, so appreciative to hear that. So as you mentioned, I have a teen and a recent teen, meaning he just turned 20. And so really this started for me when my son, I have two kids, a son and a daughter, my son's the oldest, when he started high school. And that was the fall of 2015. That was his freshman year. And where we lived at the time, the public high school started at 7.30 in the morning. That is incredibly early to me. I am not a morning person and it is also incredibly early for teens. I did not know at that point, I, I will just you know acknowledge that as a parent, it was really the first time it had hit my radar. The fact that school started so early, but I could see that this was a huge mismatch with what he could do. I mean, every day he was struggling to get up. He was clearly exhausted when I was driving him to school in the morning. He'd come home, he'd want a nap. And it wasn't just him. I mean, it had to do with the school start time. So I started looking into it as a journalist. That's, you know, sort of what I do is I start looking into things and writing about them. 
So by 2016, I was publishing articles about why schools start so early in the morning. I had started a local chapter of Start School Later, which is a national nonprofit group devoted to helping raise awareness and advocate for change. The American Academy of Pediatrics had actually just the prior year in 2014 come out with their statement recommending that secondary schools start no earlier than 8.30 in the morning. And that's because of all the tremendous health and mental health and overall well-being ramifications for kids. So I didn't realize it at the time, but I had sort of tapped into this issue that was hitting a critical mass. And fast forward to September of 2016, I wrote an op-ed that ran in the LA Times. And that op-ed was read by one of our California state senators, Anthony Portentino, whose district is the La Cunada Flint Ridge area, which is near Pasadena. He had a high school of his own. Their high school was in the midst of talks to look at having the school start later. So it was an issue that he was already aware of. Definitely because it's it's national. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think really important. Your son's experience was not an outlier experience. This is a very, very common experience. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. In fact, I have data here. So the most recent data was 2017-18. And in the U.S., as of that point, only 17.5% of high schools were starting at 8.30 or later. So the vast majority of kids across the country are going to school at times that are considered too early. So in California, that was the case as well. He decided that he uh, was interested in pursuing the topic, introduced a bill on later school start times. That bill was introduced February 13th, 2017. I got sucked into the process. It was a two and a half year journey. I ended up testifying in front of the State Assembly Education Committee. I was heavily involved throughout the whole process. Never would have predicted that at the start of my my son's high school experience when I was just starting to look into it. But that evolved into what is now the first law in the country requiring later start times for secondary schools. And that law in California goes into effect July 1st. It's unbelievable. It's really just such a story of recognizing that the experience that goes on under your roof in your own home is probably not a unique experience, right? But is probably an experience that is lived in many homes and so many people want to do something about it, want to make change, but might not feel empowered. And here you were in a career with a microphone and you were able to use your microphone through the pen and attract enough attention and the right attention and then put in what is a tremendous amount of work that you write about a lot in terms of the, the legal process in order to make change. It's, it's just remarkable. And you trusted your instincts about your kid, Lisa. I mean, you're now affecting thousands and thousands of kids, but it started with your gut that there was a, there was a systemic issue that was affecting your kid and you needed to do something about it. And I think We often talk about like parents have to trust their instincts about their kids, particularly when they're in these like majorly transitional moments. I mean, freshman boys, teenage freshmen, you know, teenagers just starting high school, that is like one of the biggest moments of transition. And you could tell there's something not working for my kid here. I got to do something about it. I really, I love that. Can we take a pivot for a moment to the because you're in California and a lot of this was happening, all of this for you was happening in California. Can we talk a little bit about how COVID and the mandate to keep schools closed in California for longer than many parts of the country, how did that impact the way you saw your argument? How, you know, talk, talk to us a little bit about what the school shutdown did in terms of sleep for teenagers. Absolutely. So The law that that I mentioned is going into effect July 1st was actually passed in the fall of 2019, but it did not go into effect right away. There was a three-year implementation window because you can't just flip a switch. I mean, there are plans that have to be made and preparations in order to shift school start times. So during that three-year implementation window was when COVID hit. And 
all of the schools, as you mentioned, suddenly pivoted to online learning. As part of that, a lot of them also shifted their school start times. So that was especially the case in California, where they already knew they were in the midst of this three-year transition period. So it made all the sense in the world to make this shift during the pandemic. That's what our own local, local high school did. They started classes at 8.30 rather than 7.30. And then they kept those in place after in-person schooling resumed because it made no sense to go back to 7.30, only to then need to move it yet again to 8.30. But that was also happening around the country. And that was sort of organic because in so many cases, schools sort of realized there was not the need to be starting quite so early for Zoom school. And as a result, that was perhaps the one silver lining, I think we can say, came out of the, <laughs> the pandemic. For many teens, they were able to get more sleep as a result of their school start times shifting later. And I say many teens because obviously our teens were also hit so hard with the pandemic itself and the mental health you know, hit that that, that that took was was really tremendous. But at least that silver lining of more sleep helped them cope with that a bit. Yeah. I mean, my kids, that was the one thing they liked about being remote is that they got more sleep. Now, in the early days of remote learning, I don't know what time they were going to bed and getting off Xbox, for instance. But as it dragged on, they liked having breaks where they were remote for a week or two because it meant they got to sleep till like eight or eight 30 in the morning, which was awesome. So Lisa, I want to get us to the heart of this issue in the context of the puberty podcast. And this is something you, you point to beautifully on your Instagram account and you write about wonderfully in the book. And it's something that people really don't realize, which is kids in puberty have real changes in their sleep patterns and their sleep is really affected by aspects of puberty like menstruation. So there's kind of two prongs to that question. One is the hormonal impact on kids' bodies during puberty and their sleep. And the other is the logistical issues of puberty that can affect their sleep. So do you want to start with the hormonal stuff? And Cara, obviously jump in if you want to, if you want to add anything. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think as you well know, puberty is such a massive time of change for our kids. And I, I think of it sort of like, you know, you have the little caterpillar who gets to retreat into their cocoon before they emerge as a butterfly. Well, our teens don't get to retreat, you know, instead of being in a cocoon, they're out there and they're, and they're having to go through all these tremendous changes in public. And, you know, they have the hormonal changes, they have growth, obviously everything that, that's happening with that, but also their social and their academic demands have revved up, their emotions are heightened. So it's really a pressure cooker, high stress environment in many ways. And unfortunately, for so many of the teens, they're doing this against the backdrop of too little sleep. And a big piece of that is the school start times, which, which we've talked about. But there's so many other demands on their time too because they, they do have homework that they're working on until late at night. You know, they do have, their social worlds have expanded. They want to be on tech, talking with their friends. I mean, there's so many things that are sort of conspiring to take away from that sleep that they need, which is eight to 10 hours a night. And I think that's a piece that isn't always necessarily understood or accepted, I guess would perhaps be a better way to put it because it's so easy to think, well, sure, eight to 10 hours, you know, that's the general range, but, you know, I do well on the lower end or, you know, I can get by with less. And it isn't that you can't get by with less. It's just that you don't function as well. There are no benefits to walking around sleep deprived. And yet everyone wants to sort of try and, you know, convince themselves that it's okay. When I was leaving college, heading into medical school, I remember there was this this very famous college essay that made the rounds. And it was written by a kid who was superhuman and could do anything. And the line that I'll never forget is, I can bake 35 minute brownies in 30 minutes. And it's, <laughs> it's that, right? It's that concept of I can get what I need from my sleep, even though people say you need X amount. I, I do want to highlight two things layer on to this description, which is so accurate. The first is we talk about teen sleep needs, but adults 
also have sleep needs that are not met. That too is under discussed. And so whenever I'm in the classroom teaching about sleep, this eight to 10 hours, you know, in the world of pediatrics, we really push it more to nine to 10 to narrow the window in order to try to emphasize the importance of sleep. And for adults, it's eight to nine that we really try to push. The problem with pushing the window to be narrow is there are, of course, many people who either do not or cannot get that amount of sleep. And there is an anxiety component that then comes out when you start giving people recommendations about how much sleep they should have. And it looks something like this. Okay, I have to get eight hours of sleep. I have to get eight hours of sleep. So I'm going to put myself in bed and I'm going to turn out my lights and I'm going to go to bed. And then I'm laying in bed and my mind is going and going and going and going. And I need to sleep and I can't sleep. Right. And everything gets revved up. And that is counterproductive to the goal of getting sleep. So when you hear these guidelines, whether you're a teenager or an adult, know that these are goals, but they are not goals intended to create worry because the worry will not help, but will actually wake you up. That's one comment. The second comment is about melatonin in particular. And I just want to make it very clear that in addition to all of the social and emotional drivers of a later night for teenagers, they have another very physiological driver. And that is that melatonin, which is the naturally produced hormone that tells your body it's time to wind down and go to sleep. Melatonin production gets pushed later and later and later into the night in many, many bodies, not all. I went to bed, my friends still make fun of me every night in high school at 930. I was out. I have a son who does the same. That is our clock. And it was 10 o'clock. Well, right. I mean, we all have different clocks. And so, but I live with a, a very typical teenager and my daughter, and I watched as her melatonin surge pushed later and later. And what it typically looks like is a kid who wants to get that eight to 10 hours who puts themselves, does all the right things, gets themselves off a screen. They finish their homework. They do their socializing, whatever. They put themselves in bed. They have a nice routine for bedtime. They wind down and they're not anxious. They're just laying there because they can't go to sleep because the melatonin surge has not happened. And Lisa, I don't know if you want to add anything onto that. Yeah, no, thank you for mentioning that as a critical piece that their body clocks shift to a later schedule. That circadian rhythm shift happens at the onset of puberty. So you can put a teen in bed at you know nine o'clock and chances are they're just going to be staring at the ceiling. They're not feeling tired and ready to fall asleep until closer to 11 o'clock. And then if you do the math, if they're supposed to be getting eight to 10 hours and their school is starting too early in the morning, there is no way that they can hit even the minimum of eight hours. I mean, you know, you take that example, 11 o'clock, let's say they fall asleep right at 11. They'd have to get up at seven just to get eight hours. Meanwhile, there are schools in California today that start at 7 a.m. So it, it really does create a very, very difficult situation for them. In terms of the book itself, of really why I wrote it, it was to help parents understand First of all, just the basics of why sleep changes when our kids hit the teen years. And I think that piece is not as widely understood. I know I certainly didn't know that going in. So I wanted parents to understand why this, why their kids' sleep has changed. Also, all of the many profound ways that that affects their kids. I mean, sleep has such a massive impact on well-being across the board. It's everything from their mental health to their grades, to their driving, to sports, really so many profound effects when our, when our teens are sleep deprived. And then I wanted to give parents specific advice on how they could help. So that's, I think, something that I didn't know going into it. I, basically, I wrote the book that I wish that I had had when my son was starting high school. Hey, it's Cara. We all know puberty isn't always easy. One of the trickiest pieces of the puberty puzzle is boobs. When will I get them? Why are they so tender? And why does every bra out there seem to pull, push, pad, itch, scratch, or be so flimsy it doesn't do a thing? 
that's where Umla comes in. It's a company that makes puberty comfortable, a company I founded with my friend Julie. When our own daughters began the puberty journey, we couldn't find a decent starter bra anywhere. So we made one. It fits perfectly whether boobs are just starting to bud or they've been growing for a few years. We call it the Umbra. And it's game-changing. The Umbra is made from buttery cotton that feels like second skin, ridiculously soft, and so comfortable you'll forget you're wearing anything at all. Umbra's one-of-a-kind support comes from its patented layered design that creates gentle compression without any tight binding, which also means it doesn't need any bulky, awkward pads because it's built to seamlessly hide nipples and protect against those dreaded ouch moments throughout the day. Our daughters and their friends are done with puberty, but they still love and wear their umbras. It's why we say that the umbra may be your first bra, but it will definitely be your favorite bra. Come say hi, look around, and find your umbra, plus lots of other puberty info, at myoomla.com. That's M-Y-O-O-M-L-A dot com. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, Magnesium Breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, Magnesium Breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is Factors ready-to-eat meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our Factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never-frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal. And even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And fruity is the favorite flavor in my house. Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. 
It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa. You can go to magicspoon.com slash puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them. Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. Lisa, let's dive into that a bit because you talk in the book so articulately about why sleep is so critical to teenagers and frankly, everybody else. And Cara and I talk about this a lot on almost every episode, how (laughs) kids need sleep and we need to help set them up for success. How does sleep or lack of sleep affect them emotionally, physically, attentionally? I don't think people realize how many tentacles sleep can have in people's lives and how critical it is. So can you give us a kind of a primer on the central importance of sleep for growing and changing bodies? Absolutely. And I I love that analogy of the tentacles of sleep because it really does affect every single aspect of our lives. I think a big one, especially right now, is mental health and how sleep really helps boost emotional resiliency. It's sort of an emotional buffer for helping deal with all the stressors that we all are facing on a daily basis. And for teens, as I mentioned, you know, they, they have so many demands on them right now. And when it comes to learning, getting a good night's sleep, not being sleep deprived really helps in terms of the whole entire learning process, acquiring the information when they're learning it in the classroom retaining that information because that entire complex process of turning that into longer term memories and integrating and synthesizing it with other information that you already know happens when you're sleeping. And then it also helps in terms of being able to retrieve the information. So when they're trying to think back on what they learned in school to do their homework or to be able to retrieve that information to take a test, getting a good night's sleep and not just one night's sleep, but being well slept, I suppose would be the better term, helps with all of that. It helps athletes. It, it helps them. It, sleep is a competitive advantage. I mean, yeah, you saw I've got a whole chapter on sleep and sports in the book. And that's something that pro athletes recognize. You'll see some of them out there being very vocal about the fact that they really prioritize their sleep because it's a competitive advantage. Can I give you a scenario? I, I want to do a little role play with you here because we all have kids or no kids who feel a tremendous amount of pressure to finish every ounce of homework and to study until the very last second they can possibly study for a test and who stay up late, 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 late to get work done. But to your point, their performance may be better affected by getting enough sleep rather than studying that extra hour. So let's say you're a parent and I'm a kid and you come to me, Lisa, and you say, Hey kiddo, it's time to wrap it up. Like you got to go to sleep. And I say to you, oh, but mom, I still haven't studied section seven. And if I don't study it, I know I'm not going to get a good grade on this test. What's your response? Because I can imagine all these parents across the country having this very argument with their children on any given night. So what's the, what's the parent language to use to a kid who says that to you? The magic parent phrase is, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> if only I knew what the magic parent phrase was. I think, in all honesty, I think it's, it is difficult, especially when you're at that point already, when it is the night before the big test. So I would say, in general, a broader good approach I'd recommend is trying to address the whole homework and studying piece, ideally before you get to that that night before the test. There are things that schools can do certainly to play into. And again, looking sort of at the broader piece, which is when, because you you alluded to when kids are are up late at night studying or even doing homework because assignments can be turned in until 11.59 PM, then of course the natural tendency is to want to wait and do it later at night. So that's a piece and, and parents can help advocate for that. 
because schools absolutely have a role, not just in the start times, but in the homework loads, in the homework turn-in times. One thing parents can be doing on an ongoing basis is sort of helping their kid manage their workload. And, and you do less of this as your kids get older, obviously, but helping encourage them not to cram and wait till the night before a test, you know, to help them break that into smaller chunks is one strategy. But if you are faced with that, it's the night before and they're up and they're starting to panic and get anxious, you've sort of hit that point of diminishing returns, I, I would argue. And it's going to be that much harder and, and take that much longer for them to try and absorb the information because when you're already tired, you're not doing a, a, a good job of absorbing it. So it almost would seem to me like at that point, you want to sort of help help them understand it's okay, that what they've done is probably going to be enough. I mean, our kids sort of have this this sense of this overload that they have to do it all. And by the time you get to that point, you're not really going to be able to make a meaningful difference, I think, for what you're going to be able to learn and retain for that next day. You are so right. And the one way to frame the conversation, not in the moment of, you know, the 11th hour when all emotions are running high, but instead in that sort of proactive, many small conversations over time kind of way. One way is to list the four things that sleep accomplishes in a tween and teen body, right? And so those four things, and just a short list often helps them. Mood reset, we all know that, right? Memory, so when we sleep, we file the memories from the day into long-term storage and we throw out the ones we don't need. So that's where the test prep piece comes in. That is why you will do better on a test in many ways when you get a full night's sleep instead of cramming is you actually cannot cram into the memory banks without sleep. So mood, memory, metabolism. So there's a very clear link between how we burn through our calories the next day and how much sleep we got the night before. And that is again, true for all bodies, but it's very helpful for people to understand. So mood, memory, metabolism, and growth. You grow when you sleep. And if you need, as a parent, if you need any one incentive to get a child to put themselves in bed earlier, and that's your battle, all you need to do is educate them as to the simple fact that growth hormone is released in a pulsatile fashion when you are asleep, not at night, not when you're laying down, when you are asleep. And so those four variables can be, then if you've sort of laid those out, right? Mood, memory, metabolism, growth. If you've laid those out for your kid, then your child has heard before what you're gonna say the night before the test, which is remember, when you sleep, you recall better the next day. That's why I'm suggesting you shut the book. But you you can't, I agree with you, Lisa, you, you can't do it for the first time the night before when there's a lot of, you know, that when, when tempers are running hot. We'll have an episode coming out with Brian Platzer who wrote the book, Taking the Stress Out of Homework. And he gives really specific advice about how to do exactly what you described, Lisa, which is to help our kids break down their homework and that, you know, the, the sort of burden of all their responsibilities in more digestible ways so that they're not cramming the night before and creating the sleep issue and the family tension issue, which are, I think, equally <laughs> complicated. Okay, wait, we just went through a long list of, of words that start with M that impact sleep or that sleep impacts. Let's talk about menstruation. <laughs> Let's talk about, this was really, really interesting. The research that you stumbled upon in terms of how menstruation and the menstrual cycle impacts sleep. Can you dive into that for a minute? Yes, absolutely. So in general, girls take longer to fall asleep than boys. So there, there are these differences. And, and when we say girls, we should probably be saying biological females. So because this really is biology. It is hormonal. And it typically is at the onset of puberty that girls start to have an increased risk of insomnia. And that continues into our adult years. And also girls, biological females are affected by the menstruation cycle. And that's happening fairly young. About half of girls in the United States have gotten their period by the time they're 12 years old. And you know this is happening obviously every month. 
And there are aspects of that that absolutely affect sleep. Things like premenstrual syndrome, things like pain when they're getting their periods. And that's something that's experienced by a lot of teen girls and women. And if you're having moderate to severe period pain, which is not uncommon at all, that does affect your sleep. And so that is absolutely something to keep in mind. And your mood is affected, you know, premenstrual syndrome and, and the hormonal changes that are going on. That is intensified when you're not getting enough mm -hmm. sleep because it makes it that much more difficult to handle the emotional stressors that are coming your way. So just really, I think, to recognize that this is something that our teen girls are dealing with on a monthly basis. There isn't a magic fix for that, but I think awareness really goes a long way and being able to help prioritize sleep, especially against this backdrop is so important. You've also written about the logistical challenges of menstruating and how that can affect sleep, right? If you're worrying about that you're going to leak or that like you got blood on your sheets or, you know, waking up in the middle of the night, worrying about that. I mean, Cara tells a story about what her pad situation looked like when she was a teenager. I don't know, Cara, if you want to share that story. I, think I built Noah's Ark in my underpants. It was crazy. <laughs> I had a pad in the front, I had a pad in the back, I'd, whatever it took to, to not worry. You know, it was really something. And I think, oh I mean, goodness. that's, yeah, I mean, that's something we talk a lot about, about menstruation in general, that there are real logistical worries that menstruating people have because the greatest embarrassment is that you leak, even if it's in the confines of your own bedroom. I just want to ask Lisa, do we know if the fact that biological females fall asleep, take longer to fall asleep, is that like about rumination and worrying and anxiety? Is that like an actual circadian sleep cycle issue? Do we ha have more information about that? That is a really good question. And I should probably just remind uh, listeners that I'm not a medical expert. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. So that <laughs> so Cara might have more to say on that, but the rumination piece I can address to say that in general, and again, you know, this does not apply to every single case, but in general, females do tend to ruminate more so than boys when they are facing emotional stressors. And that absolutely can affect sleep. I think there's just, there's such a constellation of factors that can affect our girls and our boys. The additional piece of the hormonal impacts for girls is significant and is something to keep in mind. A lot of the rumination and the impacts of being on social media, that's yet another layer that's added on top. Lisa, I want to talk about technology because it is because the you want another layer to add on top. <laughs> Because in case player. I wasn't already feeling like I was blowing it completely with my kids and sleep, I actually have two kids who put themselves to sleep. Like when they're tired, they're just like, okay, I'm going to bed. And then I have two who are like really sneaky and they claim they're going to sleep. And then I don't know what they do in their rooms. Well, one of them, we had to remove her phone because it was being charged in her bedroom. And we found her still awake at 1145 the other night. Mm. So that is a segue. So I can tell you listeners... Give this quick teachable moment here. Don't leave phones in the bedroom overnight. Right. So here's the that's funny a, part about... Point. No, here's the funny part about it is because Car and I recorded a TikTok two months ago, which oh, said... Oh yeah, we did. <laughs> Don't which let said, your wait, kids. Wait, wait, it, the TikTok didn't say Vanessa said. <laughs> Go ahead, Vanessa. What did you say in that TikTok? <laughs> okay. I might've been the one talking keep devices out of your kid's room. Yeah. So here's the downward spiral. My daughter was charging her phone in the hallway and then she forgot her charger somewhere. And the only way she could charge her phone was with a cord on her laptop. So I said, okay. And then I said, I'll get you another charger so you can put it back in the hallway. But second parent fail, what did I forget to do? I forgot to get her another charger, which she was unsure. The laptop out of her room. Right. So then we right. moved when we found out that she was up till 1145, we moved the laptop and the phone. And then of course, then I remembered to get her another charger. So I am fully Did you remember owning because you saw it on TikTok. 
I remembered it because the TikTok was coming out the next day and I didn't want to be the most horrific hypocrite on this particular day. I'm sure I will be. But I, so the way I said to her, my husband came in, he said she was up till 1145. So I looked at her and I said, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to solve this? Because they know the rule is no charging in their rooms. So Lisa, what are my, what are my arguments points. I'm looking at a 14 year old who has just snuck their phone or their laptop or everything into their room. Give me my argument points for why that is a really bad idea. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, and you, you hit on this just a moment ago, the recommendation that phones should not be, or devices should not be in the bedrooms at night. That is the official recommendation of the American Academy of Pediatrics. So you can certainly cite the experts. And, And that is actually a best practice. It's, it's harder to do than, you know, it, one of those things, it's easier to say than it is to do. And some of that just gets back to trying to establish those house rules for technology. And the earlier you can do that, the better. But as you mentioned, getting buy-in from your teens, you know, that can be the tricky part. So some of this, again, I think gets back to education and just sort of helping raise awareness of the issue, which is that technology is such a critical part of their lives. And yet it can also be harmful, you know, specifically in terms of cutting into their sleep time. And it's, you know, literally cutting into their sleep time. If they are on their phone or playing a video game until one or 2 a.m., they have taken that time away from their sleep time. It's also the fact that it is engaging, it's immersive, and it was designed to be immersive. I mean, it's not really our, you know, our kids that are the ones that should be faulted for this, that technology was designed to keep them online and engaged as long as possible. And then the third piece of it is the blue light aspect. That is absolutely an important one. However, I guess what I should note is that that probably is not quite as important overall as the other two. You're about to notice a slight sound change. That's because in the middle of our conversation, Vanessa lost power, not physical power. She did not fall asleep. She lost actual power and our recording stopped. And so we are picking it up again now, but Vanessa is going to sound a little bit further away because she's on her phone. We're just rolling with it. We're just rolling. We're rolling with it. So for the listeners, you haven't paused at all, but for us, welcome back everyone. Um, Here we go. Lisa, let's pick up a little bit with the conversation around blue light. When I teach in the classroom and I teach about sleep, I always talk about blue light. And increasingly, kids have gotten very smart about their answer. And they will say, oh, I just put my phone in night mode and it's yellow light and that will not impact my sleep. Can you help me with an answer? Well, well, first of all, they're not wrong in that that does help with the amount of blue light that is being emitted. But I think the the real key is that blue light is only one of the issues with tech use. So yes, being in night mode or having a device that's further away. So watching, you know, whatever show they want to watch, if they're watching it on a screen across the room, like a TV screen, rather than on their phone, 10 inches from, from their face, that inherently is going to mean that they're absorbing less of the blue light. But blue light is only one of three factors in terms of how their tech use is impacting their sleep. The other two are the fact that if they stay on their devices until late at night, that's cutting into their sleep time. If you're playing video games until one o'clock or two o'clock in the morning, those are the hours that you should have been asleep. And so you have just cut into your, your sleep time. And the second is just being on your phone. Generally speaking, it's an immersive experience whether you're playing a video game, whether you're interacting with your friends in some sort of a back and forth and hashing through something that went on, those are stimulating experiences. You know, emotionally, you may be riled up by what you're doing on your device. And that is something that's gonna make it harder to wind down. And so that's another key reason why, ideally you want to be off of your devices at least an hour before bedtime. And everything you are saying, throughout this entire podcast is applicable to adults as much as it's applicable to tweens and teens, right? So 
all of these, when we say you, and we're referring to your child or the child who's living in your home, we also mean you, the adult who is listening to this, right? Because I go down the the doom scrolling rabbit hole while I'm getting ready to go to bed. And if my device is right next to me, so I have started actually for now three or four years, my device is out of my bedroom at night because I can feel the giant sucking power of its lure. And is that a fair statement across the board? Oh, absolutely. And that's in fact, one of the things I cover is, you know, I've got a whole chapter on technology in the book and in the section talking about how to help your teams, one of the one of the key messages is we need to be modeling good behavior. So being open and upfront about how we deal with technology and what kind of limits we're setting helps our teams know that we are walking the talk. So if the house rule is going to be your phone should be charged outside of your bedroom at night, well, then we should be doing the same thing. They should all be charged ideally in some sort of central location. So it's not just the teens phones that are subject to these rules. Our own phones should be also, but there's also a piece of them seeing us acknowledge that we also struggle with this issue. Cause again, getting back to social media and the fact that we can access all this information 24 seven, that's something we are all struggling with. And we all need to be able to set those limits in order to wind down for the night. In my case, the doom scrolling thing, I can so relate to that. And I ended up taking my phone and figuring out the settings so that I could turn off access to that at 930 every night. Now, I'm a, I can also overwrite it, but it's a it's a cue. So when I pick up my phone and I see that those icons are now dim because I've put them to sleep for the night, it actually helps immensely in terms of keeping me from going back and looking at the latest news. So, and that is also something that I shared with my, with my teenager, that she knows that's something that I've done for myself to help. And so it helps them start thinking about, oh, okay, this is an issue that it's not just that my parent is coming in and telling me that I need to do this. They're sharing with me how they address it themselves. And the one last piece I'd, I'd add is to ask our teens, you know, and to engage them in a conversation about it. What would help you? You know, what might you be able to do that helps? Maybe it's charging your phone across the room instead of, you know, right by your bed. If, if you don't yet have that house rule of, of technology being charged elsewhere, you know, what if you try that? See how that works, you know, but sort of ideally even letting them come up with some ideas to implement. And then they're going to be more likely to kind of take all this to heart. There's so much more to learn from you in your book about the importance of teen sleep. And I hope people will read it because I learned a ton. I know Cara learned a ton. I want to finish with our practical puberty takeaway. And I'm going to go first so Cara doesn't take mine. Uh, <laughs> Every week, that's how this starts. <laughs> <laughs> it's like sibling rivalry. <laughs> so Lisa, I what I love most about what you're saying is that sleep is both a bio logical and a kind of social emotional issue, both on the reasons why it's hard to get sleep and in the ways in which our sleep can be affected. And I really appreciate how you paint the picture of how sleep permeates all aspects of our life or lack of sleep. And it's not just a quick fix of one thing, but it's kind of ongoing efforts as a family to make changes and allow for healthier sleep with our kids. So I appreciate your really educating us on that. I completely agree. For me, the pearl of what you have done is to take an issue that we all see and we all live and we all experience for ourselves as well as see in the kids who are in our lives you have taken that and you have turned it into action. And then you have written about how you turned it into action, which empowers people to do something similar in the same way that modeling any behavior is so important because they do as we do and not as we say, you have done, you have recognized a problem and you have made a change, a change that is going to impact so many families beginning in September, certainly in my state of California, hopefully across the country as other states implement laws like these. But hopefully people will start to see what you have done and feel emboldened to actually act on their information. 
Thank you. Yeah, I think it really is a case where I would say my takeaway would be raising awareness that I think it is a case of just raising awareness of how important sleep is for all of us, but specifically for teens, that parents and teens really need to know and understand that the range of, of how much sleep they should be getting every night is eight to 10 hours. They're not at the adult range of seven to nine hours. And so recognizing that they really do need eight to 10 hours a night, and then being able to take whatever action makes sense for them, whether it's working with their school to help implement healthy school start times, whether it's looking at the tech use in their homes, whether it's looking at the homework load, but just really being aware of the fact that they need more sleep and then trying to identify ways to help them get it. That's so great. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa, for joining us. We are so thrilled to have had you. We are very excited to see what laws you're going to change next. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts or check out our Instagram at The Puberty Podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out myoomla.com or dynamogirl.com. Bye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.